0: Good morning and welcome to Sunrise. If you're out in the lobby, go ahead and make your way in as you're able to. If you're joining us online or in person, we're glad that you're here. Uh, My name is Dan Fisher, and I want to welcome you. You'll find on the seats in front of you a QR code. There might be one that shows up here on the screen, maybe not. But uh, if you click that, you'll be able to find any information that we think is helpful for you to find out about us, along with a place that you can click uh, to let us know what other kinds of help that we can offer to you. Uh, One of the things that we love to do here at Sunrise is to provide spaces for our kids to learn what it means to be transformed by God's grace and love and to move out into the world to transform His world with His love and His grace. Penny Plowman, you want to go ahead and come on up, has been our children's director here for, I think I said the wrong amount of time last time, did I? How long? Seven years? For seven and a half years. And Penny has let us know that she is transitioning out. This is her last Sunday here. We announced this last weekend, but she wasn't here. Do you want to talk on a microphone or not? Okay.
1: No, well, I'm just excited. Thank you guys so much for the opportunity to lead and serve here for the past almost eight years. I am very sad to leave you all, but happy to see where God leads next. So thank you for the time I've been here.
0: Yeah. So Penny has invested in a lot of ways into a lot of the kids who are here, some from a very young age up to eight years old as, old as my son is. or some in the range there. But anyway... Uh, If you find Penny after the service, she's going to be back helping with the kids as she does often on Sundays during the service. But find her afterward. Give her a hug if you're okay with that, or a high five, or whatever. Uh, Just thank her for what she's done. Again, this is her last Sunday here, and we want to help send her off well. So let me pray, and then we'll get the service going. God, thank you for the Plowmans, for Penny, Gary, and their kids. Thank you for the investment that they have made here in the kids of Sunrise, including my own. We pray that as uh, Penny seeks what is next for her, that you would continue to bless and encourage her and her family. God, we love you. We know that you are continuing to work to transform our lives and our world with your love and your grace. And so we thank you for the ways that you continue to do that. In Christ's name, amen. All right, so we're going to sing a couple of songs. And uh, yeah, yeah, let's thank Penny. Thank you. So if you want to stand, you're more than welcome to stand. You can stay seated if you want to, but we're going to go ahead and sing some songs. I want to thank Drew and Kathleen for stepping in to lead in a very unique way. Uh, We have some folks who let us know this morning they're sick, and so they've generously jumped in as a bit of a surprise to help lead us this morning. So let's vigorously join them as we sing.
2: My heart was given a name, my morning grew quiet, my feet rose to dance, when death was arrested in my heart. Jealous for me The love's like a hurricane And I am a tree Bending beneath The weight of His wind and mercy When all of a sudden I am unaware of these afflictions Eclipsed by glory Beautiful you are and with technology, sorry.
0: You guys can go ahead and take a seat. Or if you want to keep standing, you can stand. That's fine too. Kathleen and Drew, thank you very much. You guys did a great job. So again, my name is Dan. We're glad that you're here this morning. If you're here for the first time, we uh, will do our best not to scare you away. Um, that was a joke and also true. Um, if you used our valet parking, we don't have valet parking, so you might want to talk to somebody on the way out. Um, so, I think I might have broken our record today for the number of slides that are used. So, kids, I have a challenge for you. Keep track of the different slides that are up on the screen while I'm up here. This first one counts as number one. And let me know after the service how many there are, and the person who's closest gets something from me, okay? Deal? Kids, can I hear you? Did you hear that? Kids. Only kids. But I'm not, I'm not defining that. You guys can define that yourselves, okay? Okay. <laughs> So uh, this last song that we sing, um, God calls us into following him in ways that we don't always understand, right? Uh, It can feel like when we are here, when we are with people who follow the same Jesus that we do, who are uh, allies with us, that we can do this journey of life together well, and then when we go out into the workplace or we stay home with our kids or we go back to school or whatever it is, it can feel really difficult to stay where we want to be, And so that's one of the reasons why we offer pub theology. We have wine theology for women, we have pub in in theology for men. February 8th, that's coming up soon, is the next pub theology for men. You guys are more than welcome to join. You don't have to have already been a part of it to jump in. You don't have to have all of the answers about God and faith to be a part of it. In fact, if you have all of those answers, don't come. We're not interested in you being there. But it's just the space for us to have real conversations about different things. Now, I already said this once, but there are QR codes on the seats in front of you. You can scan those if you get bored during the service. Find out all the different things that are happening here at and through Sunrise. And if you're new, you can let us know your information, whatever information it is that you think is helpful for us to have, so that we can help serve you in the best way possible. Now, uh, being a pastor is a lot of fun. This is slide number... Two. That last one didn't count. Excellent. Who, who was that? Who said three? You get a gold star. Just an imaginary gold star for you. This one's actually number two. Um, so anyway, now you guys have experienced these times in life where what we're supposed to do seems very straightforward, right? But then as you have more conversations, you realize, oh, I missed the boat on that one. So let me give you an example. Um, being in the ministry... It's part of the job of a pastor to care for people well, to be fully present in conversations, good eye contact, to empathize, to share stories, to listen well. And those of you who do that in your professional careers, you know that that can take a lot of energy. And so when you go home, that's all you want to do when you go home, right? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) That's something that you're super excited about. Well, that is a pattern that I had fallen into as well. And I didn't tell Stephanie I'm going to tell the story, but I'm going to tell the story. I think it's okay. Um, (laughs) There were times where I would come home and I would hear from Stephanie, it feels like you're not really here. Like you have done everything you can to help the people who are out there, but when you come home, you have nothing left. And so I would ask her the, the basic questions that a guy asks. Well, what is it that you want me to do? Some of you are smiling a little bit because you've had a similar conversation in your own home. Um, I mean, what I've done is I've done the dishwasher in the morning like you've asked. I do one-on-one time with the kids. I go to the store. Like, I, I do all of these things. I don't understand what you're telling me because I am here, and I am doing my best. You guys been in a similar spot like that? You don't have to raise your hand, but you can gently nudge your neighbor if they're your spouse and they need to listen up. And so, what I thought my wife was telling me was, I need you to do more things when you're here. I need you to be more active. And it wasn't until how many years of marriage? Too many? Too many. We'll just go with that. Um, we've been married for 18 years. This was probably about five years ago we had this conversation ish. A long time. We're sitting in chairs down in our basement, me like this, and my wife in a chair right there, looking right at me, shoulder to shoulder. Knees to knees, eyeball to eyeball. That's what you're supposed to do. Anyway, what I finally understood was that my wife was telling me, if you take all of the emotional energy that you have and you turn them into M&Ms, it was at this point that I was paying attention. (laughs) It feels like what you're doing, Dan, is you are using up all of those M&Ms over here and you have no M&Ms left at home. And so I asked for an M&M. But I understood what she was saying. She didn't just want me to be doing more things at home. She wanted me to bring more of myself home with me. To not give it all away to the people out there, but to bring some of who I am home. Does that make sense? Okay. That, I think, helps set the stage for our conversation this morning. We have been talking about generosity over the last few weeks. I think this morning will be our last conversation on this topic, but I want to bring up a passage of scripture that is often used and misinterpreted by many of us. I think in a way that's similar to what I just described to you in my conversation with my wife. So I'm going to fast forward a little bit to uh, slides that are coming in order to then start our conversation. So Malachi chapter 3 verses 6 and 7. This is in the Old Testament. Malachi is a guy who stood in front of God's people and said, I have a word for you from God. And it was not super encouraging. It was kind of like a verbal throat punch. But these were important words that the people of Israel needed to hear. And these are words that we hear today when it comes to being generous. In tithes and offerings, you are under a curse. Your whole nation... Because you are robbing me. These are exactly the words that the followers of God want to hear, right? Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Now, when many of us hear this for the first time, when we listen to pastors talk about this, it sounds like what Malachi is saying is, give your money to the church and you will get money and blessings in return. Is that what it sounds like? Absolutely it does. And pastors love to jump to this because it's gonna help meet the budget by the end of the year so that they can have the best donuts and the best coffee for staff. But I wanna suggest to you That perhaps this is one of those things that for the last 12 years, 30 years of our relationship with God, maybe we have misunderstood. And so what I would like for us to do is sit knee to knee, shoulder to shoulder, eyeball to eyeball with this passage of scripture that we're looking at this morning to hopefully understand or be reminded of what is actually being asked of us by Malachi from God. So God, we come to you this morning asking for your help to understand what is being written here. We do believe that you have called us to be a generous people, and we want to understand and do that well. So help us do that this morning. In Christ's name, amen. All right, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to walk through the whole book of Malachi. So this is going to be a two-hour service. I hope you brought lunch. Now, we're going to do this as quickly as possible, but I'm going to do this because context is so important For what is happening, I think what we will see is that as we look at the verses that I just pointed out to us, it's as though we're at the very bottom of the funnel, and we think that the magnifying glass that Malachi is working toward is on this idea of giving. But if we look at the context, we understand that the scope is much greater. And so we need to understand what that scope is and how this idea of giving fits into it. So, Malachi chapter 1, verses 6 to 8, if you have your Bible with you, And you haven't dusted off all of the pages. Good luck finding this. Just follow along electronically. Malachi says, on behalf of God, a son honors his father and a slave his master. And God says, if I am father, where is the honor due me? And if I am a master, where is the respect due me, says the Lord Almighty. Now, these are words that we throw around a lot, right? What, is it, what in the world does it mean to honor or to fear God? Like, no one really wants... I don't want to fear God, like be afraid of Him. What is it that's happening here? So I put this box here. To honor someone, that word honor is an English translation of an old Hebrew word. For the original readers, what they would have understood that word that we call honor today to mean is that honor someone is to feed and clothe them, to help them come in and to go out. It is to give what you have for the sake of someone else. And this is the call of God for his people. Give what you have to honor me, to help clothe me, to bring me into the spaces where you are going and to bring me out as you go out. What we find here is that what Malachi works toward is that it is about the inside, not the outside. It's about the emotional units that you have not being present and doing physical activities. A child can feed their parents. This is according to the Talmud, a a, a commentary that was written in Hebrew about the Old Testament. A child can feed their parents succulent food, but when asked where the food is from, the same child can respond, quiet, old man. A dog eats quietly and so should you. When my son told me this this last week, I was shocked. So it's not just about the outside, it's about what's happening inside as well. The other part of this story that's written in the Talmud is that in the same way a son can tell his father to work the family grindstone, to go work super hard in a way that no one really wants to, but when asked why the same child can say the king has demanded someone from each family to work the king's grindstones and I cannot have you suffer and be treated in an undignified way. So it's not just the actions that you see that define what it means to bring honor. It is about what motivates the actions as well. And this is where Malachi starts off his book to a group of people who are trying to follow God who may be doing the right things externally but are not internally doing what it is that God has asked them to do, And so this is why he starts out by saying, you have to be honoring and fearing God. This is the question right now that God has for his people. And so to honor and to respect is to think of and to act for the best interest of another person. God's people must honor their parents and respect their masters. This is where Malachi starts with. And today that's employers. Church leaders should embody this way of life. You guys with me so far? It's not just about what we do externally. It's about what we are doing internally while we do the external actions. So then Malachi continues his conversation, and he points his finger to priests, the spiritual leaders. And he says, It is you who show contempt for my name by offering defiled, that means messed up, wrong, not good enough food on my altar, By saying that the Lord's food is contemptible when you offer blind animals for sacrifice, isn't that wrong? When you sacrifice lame or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Now, for those of you who don't know the context, it was really important for the people of God to give God their best. It's part of the reason why when we come to church, we wear better clothes than we wear during the rest of the week, because we want to bring our best, right? Right? God demands of his people that when you look at what you have and you decide to prioritize things for me, I want you to give me your best. Don't give me your worst. But this is exactly what the people of Israel were doing. They were looking out on all of their cattle, on their sheep, on their goats, and it was time for them to do what God had called them to do, to bring something from their fields to him. And in their minds they thought, That is a yummy looking goat. That's a good one. We're going to save that one for our family reunion. And God can have this one over here. And in that, there is a lack of honor and respect for the God of heaven who has made and delivered his people. And it is the priests. It's not the people in the synagogue. It's not the people in the church who have said that that's okay. It is the priests, the people who should know God best. Then Malachi makes this really great argument after that. He says, try offering those same kinds of gifts to your governor. Would he or she, because we have a female governor, be pleased with you? Would she accept you, says the Lord Almighty? If you were supposed to bring money to the secretary of state for you to have your driver's license and to have your insurance, and what you brought instead was a wheelbarrow full of pennies, Would they be excited about that? Would they feel like you were doing what you should to honor and respect them? They'd probably give you a little bit of a hard time until you get out of here and come back with real cash. If you're not going to do things that are ridiculous to governors, why in the world would we do things that are ridiculous to God? This is the kind of argument that Malachi is making to his people who are shoulder to shoulder with him, trying to walk toward God. And we are only eight verses into this letter. (laughs) Thank you for writing this, Malachi, and for talking to us. We're on a great start. So here's what happens what Malachi sees and what he's responding to is that the priests brought their father leftover scraps. Their actions in their hearts said to God, quiet, old man. A dog eats quietly, and so should you. How many times when we give our time or money or effort to God, is this what we're saying? God, I've given you what it is that you want. Be quiet, and let me live my life. Now, of course, the people who followed the priest began to do the same thing. Of course they did. If the leaders are teaching one thing about God, then the people of God are going to start following that too, especially if it seems really cozy. So then Malachi talks to these folks. He says, "'Cursed is the cheat who has an acceptable male in his flock and vows to give it, but then sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I am a great king,' says the Lord Almighty, and my name is to be feared among the nations.'" So the priests are okay with subpar gifts going to God, and the people of God begin to do the same thing. And on the mouth of Malachi to God's people is, "You should be fearing God," and that disappeared again. Did that go to the back to the right place? I'm really going to mess up your number count here, kids. Sorry. <laughs> My name is to be feared among the nations. This does not mean that everyone who hears my name around the globe should be afraid of me, like people are afraid of North Korea having missiles that launch further than what they're supposed to, or fearing God like people are fearing that Russia might invade Ukraine. This word fear carries with it the force of to not sit or stand in a parent's designated place and to not contradict them that makes sense, right? If we were to tell our kids, look, when I get home from work and I'm tired and I want to sit and watch TV, I want to sit in my chair. How many of you guys do that? You don't have to raise your hand. There are chairs that belong to people in your home, right? Or couches. That is my chair. Don't sit in my chair. Or when you get up from the table at a family gathering, maybe you do what our nieces and nephews and cousins do. We call a seat check. I'm going to go to the bathroom, seat check, don't take that chair, it's mine. You guys do that, and when you come back, no one should be there, and if they are, they are not fearing you. (laughs) But it's also to not contradict them. If God says this is how we should be living, we should not sit in his chair and say, no, we need to be living another way and contradicting him. The people of God, no matter where we are in the world, should be fearing him, saying, he is the one who sits in this chair, and the way that he says we should be living life is how we should be living our lives. So, then there comes this warning. Priests, this warning is for you. If you don't listen, and if you don't resolve to honor my name, I will send a curse on you and I will curse your blessings. I've already cursed them because you have not honored me. Again, this is really super comfy, cozy stuff. But what we understand here from Malachi is that it is extremely important for us to understand who we are honoring and who we are fearing. And this is the theme that goes throughout the conversation that Malachi has with God's people all the way down to us. Because of you, priests, I will rebuke your descendants. I will smear on your faces the dung from your festival sacrifices, and you will be carried off with it. For the lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge, because he is the messenger of the Lord Almighty, and people seek instruction from his mouth. Elders, church staff members, Dan Fisher, who sits in the driver's seat of Sunrise Ministries, Am I, are we fearing God and saying, he is the one who sits in this chair? And are we following what he says, no matter what the people of God say? Or are we contradicting it and leading people in a different direction? The primary people here who Malachi is talking to first is people who are leading other people toward God. And that doesn't just apply to church leaders It applies to parents. It applies to small group leaders, to children's ministry directors, to youth directors. It applies to every one of us who is trying to lead anyone in any way toward the God of heaven. And so, if we were to summarize all of this so far, the people of God need leaders who follow God, and bad leaders lead people away from God and his blessings. And so if this is the case, what are the things that Malachi is saying that become the biggest problem areas? What is bringing Malachi to the point of saying there are problems in this community that have to lead us toward this kind of conversation? Let's discover what those are. Do we not all have one father? Did not one God create all of us? Do we profane the covenant of our ancestors by being, and here's the first thing, unfaithful to one another? If we were to ask that question of us right now and say, okay, you know what, guys? These last two years have been awful. Our country has been splintered. There have been divisions over whether or not to wear masks, about whether or not January 6th was a good idea, which it was not. Conversations about who should be president, about how they became president, and was it legitimate or not. And the really great, wonderful thing is all of those conversations and disagreements have happened out there, and we together as God's people have stayed united and focused on what God has called us to be, right? No. Absolutely not. And so as we read this from our perspective today, we are guilty of exactly what it is Malachi is saying to God's people way back then. What is wrong with you? Don't you understand that one God created all of us? One of the biggest problems that we see, that we experience right now that causes us to have a conversation about who we honor and who we fear is the fact that we are not united is what Malachi says. We are not united. Now, if that's not a swift slap in the sh- between the shoulder blades with a two-by-four, I don't know what is. There's division the among God's people, and the question of why is answered. They're honoring themselves, and they're not fearing God. This includes us. Remember, to honor someone is to feed and to clothe them, helping them come in and go out. When we are saying that we are not going to do the things that we're being asked to do to help bring safety and relief to the people around us, we are not honoring God or other people. We are honoring ourselves and protecting ourselves. To fear someone is to not sit and stand in a parent's designated place and to not contradict The fact of the matter is, there are people who are sitting in seats of leadership, of government, and in the church who have been put there according to Scripture to lead. And we find ourselves, even as God's people, fearing not God and saying, you're the one who decides to sit in this seat. You're the one who decides who's going to be the president, who's going to be the governor. Whether we like it or not, that's what Scripture teaches We want to be the ones who sit in this chair and with extremely little intelligence about what we should actually be doing, launch accusations in every direction and lead ourselves away from God. And this is what Malachi is saying to people a long, long time ago in a conversation that's focused on Where is our honor, and where is our fear? He says there's division among God's people, which I think we can feel even today. And why is that? For Malachi, it's because they're honoring themselves and not fearing God. He goes on to say, You flood the Lord's altars with tears. You weep and wail because he no longer looks with favor on your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. You guys roll up into sunrise, you grab a chair. Just like all of us, you ask yourself the question what is happening? Why is God not blessing us? I don't see the number of people here who used to be here. The people of God back when Malachi is saying this are responding in similar ways. (laughs) They are a people who are not in the place they want to be. They are living differently, more negatively than they ought to be. And because they are disoriented, God is not showing up in the way that he has been in the past. They give voice to the natural questions that we bring up as well. Where is God and what is happening? Again, honoring ourselves and not fearing God, it disorients our understanding of who God is and it prompts questions. We continue to do the external actions, but inside we are confused. And this is the place that Malachi's people are in. He goes on to say, you ask why. Why is it that we don't understand what's happening? And God answers... Because the Lord is the witness between you and the wife of your youth. You have been unfaithful to her. Though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. Now hold on a minute. Not everybody's married. What is happening here? (laughs) This is, yes, talking about marriage. One of the other things that's happening in the lives of God's people at this time is that they are marrying people outside of God's community. And for them, that was a very clear prohibition. They're not following that rule, if you will. They're not bringing to God their best. They are fearing and honoring themselves. And all of these are symptoms of the fact that they are not honoring and fearing God. And so while Malachi brings up a very specific problem in God's people's lives at that time, they're not staying faithful to the marriage covenant that God has made to them with their spouse, he is also saying, you as God's people are not staying faithful to the marriage covenant that you have with me. I gave my son for you to love you so that you would be in relationship with me in a way that brings intimacy and love and connection and trust. And yet that's not happening Has not the one God made you? You belong to him in body and in spirit. And what does the one God seek? Churches that have lots of people in them and super great budgets. He's seeking families that have white picket fences and two SUVs in the garage. He is seeking families who make sure that they are in church every Sunday Families that will stand on this side of the political aisle. Am I right? No. He is seeking godly offspring. So be on your guard and don't be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. From the very beginning of time, back in this timeline here, going all the way back to Adam and Eve and Noah and Abraham, it has been the call of God for the people of God to have children and to teach them how to grow up in the ways of God so that they would become, in the language of the Hebrew writing of Genesis, little idols of God, living, walking, moving, breathing, in flesh, creatures who proclaim the God of heaven to the people who live on earth. And what Malachi is saying is that when we are a divided people, when we are not faithful to the commitments that we should be making to each other, we are not godly offspring. And this is a problem. He goes on to say that the man who hates his wife and divorces his wife, says the Lord, the God of Israel, does violence to the one he should protect. Says the Lord Almighty. So be on your guard and don't be unfaithful. Again, this is about more than human marriage, but it does include it. Now, interestingly enough, I'm just gonna throw this out there for the sake of being very transparent. There are the earliest translations of this passage actually say, if you hate your wife, divorce her. So that can be a fun conversation for you guys to maybe pick up at Pub Theology. The point of the matter is, we should be faithful to the commitments that we should be making to each other and to God. So the the issue is, we have Jewish men who disobeyed the covenant God made with them to resist marrying those who followed other gods. And these same people were confused about why God was unfaithful to them. If you're unfaithful to your spouse, should you expect that your spouse will be faithful to you? Probably not. If you badmouth your friends when they're not around, should you expect that they're only going to talk kindly about you when you're not around? Probably not. These same people were confused about why God was unfaithful to them. Human marriage is a picture of spiritual marriage. And so, if we kind of zoom out again and say, here's what's happening, there's a pervasive disorientation for many of the people who claim to follow God. Because they are honoring themselves, they don't fear God, and because of this, their identity and therefore their practices become misaligned and confusion ensues. If we don't understand what God is calling us to do and to be, what honoring means, what fearing means, then we will live lives in a direction that is not helpful and we will not understand who God is and what he's asking us to do. God doesn't like this very much. He says, you have wearied the Lord with your words. How have we wearied him? We're doing exactly what it is we've been told we should be doing. What is happening here? By saying that all who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord and he is pleased with them. Or even by asking the question, where is the God of justice? We do this even today. We, we look out over the world and we see the Uh, immoral, unethical, illegal actions of some and how it just seems completely unfair that they become the stronger, more financially supported, uh, loved people, popular people in the world and we can think, God, why in the world are you blessing them? and Why are you not blessing us? Why in the world does that church have so many people and so much money and we're over here with this many people and this much money? Now none of you want to say that, I'll say it for you, but those are the kinds of things that we think. Because we can easily do what it is the people of God with Malachi were doing and assume that the things that happen outside that people can see about us, the picket fence, the cars, the nice clothes, the BMI that fits in the right range are all expressions of God's blessing. But what Malachi is saying is you've got it all wrong if that's what you're looking at. And the reason why you've got it all wrong is because you don't understand who God is. So the frustration towards God, what God isn't doing in our lives compared to what it seems God is doing in their lives leads to a lack of confidence in God and His ways. And there's no longer a desire to live how God wants His people to live. There's a desire to live as they live. Let me give you a quick example. You're a college student. You're lonely. You want a relationship. The faith community that you grew up in, the God of heaven says it's really wise for you to commit to one person, to invest yourselves there, to not overuse alcohol, to use that in a way that is healthy. But then you see all these other people over here, and they do the exact opposite. And they just seem to be so happy. And they just seem to have these good relationships. They get their grades taken care of. And they're able to party on weekends. God, why am, why am I not able to do those things? And we find ourselves asking similar questions that these people are asking as well. And God responds in this way. It's not gentle. If I was the one who was responding, I would respond more gently than this. But these are the words that God has in response to these people at this time that Malachi is talking to when he says, so I will come and put you on trial. This is a serious thing. This is not a I will come and erase the whiteboard and we'll start all over again and we'll eat cookies together and everyone will get a participation trophy. I will come and put you on trial. I will be quick to testify against sorcerers adulterers, perjurers, against those who have defrauded laborers of their wages, those who oppress the widow and the fatherless and deprive the foreigners, legal or not, among you of justice. But don't fear me, says the Lord Almighty. God lays it all out there for His people. And He says throughout Malachi... That he isn't speaking only to spiritual leaders. Remember, he started out talking to the priests. He isn't just talking to those who are trying to follow him. He is speaking to everyone who is within earshot of what Malachi is saying. Not all of us are sorcerers. Not all of us are adulterers. Not all of us are perjurers. How many of us would say, you know what, in five years, that's what I want to be? Raise your hand. Kids, how many of you are growing up saying, I want to grow up and be a sorcerer? Put that hand up there. No, none of us want that. We look at that and we say, that is absolutely not what we should ever become. But then how many of us defraud laborers of their wages? How many of us as employers will tell our workers, you know what? You didn't work quite hard enough this week. I know that we said we would help pay this, but in light of things... We're just not going to do that. We're going we're to not give you what we said we would give you. This begins to hit a little bit closer to home, right? Malachi is talking to people who oppress the widows and the fatherless. None of us would say that's what we do, right? There's a book called How to Be Anti-Racist. And in this book, the author is suggesting that it is not okay for us to just not be a racist people who avoid racist actions. What is most important for us is to be a people who push back against racism. And what Malachi is saying here is it is not just enough to not oppress the fatherless and the widow and the orphan, but what's important for us to do is to push back against that to advocate for the fatherless and the widow and the orphan. And there is no mention in here of asking the question, why are you a widow? Why are you fatherless? Why are you an orphan? Did you get yourself into trouble as a kid and get taken away? Did you kill your spouse? (laughs) There is no conversation here about that. There is no lens through which God says, look at the fatherless, the widow, and the orphan and begin to ask them questions so that then you can identify who I'm saying you should be advocating for. It simply stays with the fatherless, the widow, and the orphan. And then this gets even closer to home when he says that you are depriving foreigners among you of justice. Now, this is a hot topic in America, and some of you are probably going to want to email me. And if you do, I will be very tempted to just delete the email because of what this passage says. This passage does not say those who have legally entered your border are the foreigners who you should be loving. Now, American doctrine says those are the only people who you should be loving. And I will push back against the American doctrine. I will not push back against this one. How are we treating the foreigners among us? To use the language of the Old Testament, do we not understand that we were foreigners once in a land, not our own, spiritually speaking? It was the people of God who were enslaved in Egypt and mistreated, and God didn't say to them, you know what, you're stuck in a place that's not your own, I hope that you fill out the right paperwork to get where you need to be. He came near the people who were where they should not be. And he loved them. And he pursued them and advocated for them to move along and gave them the calling of remembering that they were once foreigners in a land, not their own. And that should be our lens toward foreigners spiritually or nationally. Now some of you right now are really struggling with that. And I'm okay with that. Because you're not struggling with me. You're struggling with this. These are the kinds of things that God looks at, and He says, in summary, you're not fearing me. You're taking my seat. You are contradicting the things that I am saying need to happen. And that's the problem. God goes on to say, I'm not the one who changes. Let me remind you here you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed because I'm the one who doesn't change. (laughs) Ever since the time of your ancestors, way back there, you have turned away from my decrees and not kept them. So return to me and I'll return to you. God has not gone anywhere. For the people who are listening to Malachi write these words for the first time, for those of us who are here in this room or watching online right now, for the people of God throughout the globe, no matter the circumstances that they are in, God has not ever changed. He has not gone anywhere is what Malachi is saying. What shifts and changes is our understanding of who God is and our loyalties to honor Him and to fear Him. So where is God in the midst of poor leadership in the church? Did he leave? Is he somewhere else? If there's poor leadership in the church, tell me. A little bit louder. No. No. He's still there. Where is God when things are not going well in our own lives? Still here. Still here. Still here. It is false and wrong for us to think that if our lives are not going the way that society tells us that they should be, that God is not blessing us. That is abhorrent and wrong and abusive to the fatherless, the widow, the orphan, and the foreigners and people who do not live in the minority world that are as developed as we are. The God of heaven who sees all of this reality Is the one who speaks these words. And so you ask the question, as God's people, how are we supposed to return to you? God says, will a mere mortal rob God? (laughs) But you're robbing me. He doesn't even answer the question yet. He says, you guys are robbing me. We have something else we need to talk about here. And so our right question back is, wait, what are you talking about? How are we robbing you? Then we land where we started. In tithes and offerings. You're under a curse. Your whole nation, everyone who follows God, because you're robbing me, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Now, I've got there that there's some history here that's happening. In Genesis chapter 14, what we have is Abraham, who is really excited about something that God has done. God has done something that is wonderful in his life. And so he brings 10% of all that he has to Melchizedek, a high priest. And we look at that oftentimes and we say that's not just a descriptive story where the writer of Genesis is telling us here's what happened, but we often look at that and we say that is prescriptive, that every follower of God, when God does something good, should bring 10% of what they have. It's a misunderstanding. We also have, the the gray screens don't count as their own slides, I promise you that. We also have Genesis 41. This, this statement of bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. In Genesis 41, we have Joseph, who is a follower of God, who becomes a key employee for the nation of Egypt, and there's a famine. And so it is his job to call everyone in Egypt to bring food to the storehouse because there is a famine coming and they need to have enough food in the, in the storehouse so that when the famine comes, they have enough food to take care of themselves and foreigners. There is a reason why this historical language that the people of God would have known is being brought up now. The call is not specifically to tithes and offerings, it is a call to prioritize rightly the things that God has for us, that he has given us, so that when there are times of need, we have as the people of God what it is that we can give to others who need it and to sustain ourselves. And God goes a step further and he says, test me in this. See if I'll not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Test me. Plan ahead. Bring to me the things that are extra in your life, the things that at some point you will not be able to continue having. Bring to me your extra time where you can wash the rags and the towels at Sunrise Ministries so that when those things are needed by other people, they'll be available. That's a small thing, but there's a family in our church who does that. Bring to me your extra diapers, your extra cans of food because there is COVID happening where people can't get those things and there are students in Jenison High School who need those things and if you bring them here, they will be available for those people. There are people who've done that as well. This is a metaphor here. Bring these things into my house, my storehouse, so that when they are needed, there is enough. We're taught later in Scripture that God's house is not this building. It's you, and it's me. Are we keeping things, prioritizing things in a way that honors and fears God so that we can sustain ourselves and the people around us when there is need? Or are we honoring and fearing ourselves and consuming everything that we possibly can without thought for the fatherless, the widow, the orphan, the foreigner? These are key questions that I am not bringing up, but that Malachi is bringing up. God goes on to say, and this is hyperbole. For those of you who don't remember English class very well, to speak in hyperbole is to say something so exaggeratedly to help make the point that what you're saying is true. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, the Lord says, if you do these things. And then all nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. There's not a time in history where this has happened. (laughs) Where there has ever been farmers or the people of God or a country who has never had crops devoured by pests or vines that have never dropped their fruit before they're ripe. It hasn't happened. This is an exaggeration. In Genesis 12, verses 1 to 3, we have this phrase here that I have highlighted, then all the nations will call you blessed. This is an echo of Genesis chapter 12, where Abraham, the third polygon from the left over there, decides to leave everything that he has known and that he has had to follow God When God tells them, I am going to bless you and your family, to use the language here at Sunrise, I am going to transform your lives with God's love and grace so that you, God's people, can become a blessing to other nations. God's blessing to the nations and people of the world come through God's people who are already following him. And so what God is saying is, would you just trust me with that? Will you trust me that your blessing to Jenison is not going to come by having a whole bunch of people filling these chairs and having a budget that's at this amount? Will you just trust me that I am blessing you as you honor me and fear me and that that is enough to bless the people around you? Now at the end of all of this, we're getting close to the end of Malachi, of course, it's time for people to respond. God is not bringing up this conversation for people to just hear it and then sit back and watch it and enjoy it like Netflix. And then when it's done, turn it off and go off and do something else, which is what we often do on Sunday mornings, right? All right, we did our thing at church. Now i got to go back to work. No. How will God's people respond? This is not just to the people that Malachi is talking to then. How will we respond to these points that Malachi is bringing up? We're not honoring God. We're not fearing God. There's poor leadership. People of God are misguided. There's stingy actions with stingy hearts. There are also generous actions but with stingy hearts. And all of these things are problems. I cannot point a finger at any one of you and tell you these are the things that are issues for you. But I can bring to you what it is Malachi brings to God's people and just simply pose the question. How will you respond to these things? Let's take a peek at how the people in Malachi's letter here responded. Those who fear the Lord... They felt so full of shame and guilt that they didn't talk to anybody about it. They hired a counselor and they just acted like everything was okay. Or they left their church and they went to another one who didn't bring up difficult things. No, they talked with each other. They jumped into spaces like small group or pub theology or wine and theology or they hung around after gatherings and they talked with each other about what it is they should be doing and the Lord listened And he heard, and a scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. Simple question. Who are you talking with? And what are you discussing? This one's an arrow straight at my heart, too. I like to talk about the Cubs. I like to talk about craft beer. Or for those of you who are offended by that, different kinds of pop. I like to talk about what's happening in politics. I like to talk about fun stories about my kids. It's not often that I am naturally drawn to conversations like these. How should we respond to what God is calling us to do? I highlighted the word feared here too. The scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those, it should be those, not this, who feared the Lord and honored his name. Remember, those who fear him are the ones who don't sit or stand in his designated place and don't contradict him. That's a simple decision some of us can decide to make today, that we're not going to sit in God's place. We're not going to contradict him. And then that other word that I've been telling you shows up in the book of Malachi with this word, fear, is honored. there at the end of that line there. A scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who wouldn't just sit, who would let him sit in his own chair, but also those who decided that they would feed and clothe him, that they would help him come in and go out. And this is where we fast forward to the book of Matthew, where Jesus says, You did not welcome me, you treated me like a prisoner and the people of God ask, when did we treat you poorly? And he says, when you didn't treat the fatherless, the widow, the orphan, the foreigners, well, you treated me poorly. So it's the people of God who respond to what God is saying here in the book of Malachi, not with, oh my gosh, this is just ridiculous. We have to go find a Baptist church now. Or I can't handle this. I have to completely change everything about me because I am a shameful, awful person. No, it is the mature, healthy response of God's people to say, there are things that are true about me that are not the way they should be. And my simple job is to just ask the question, who's sitting in the chair? Who's leading things? Is it me or is it God? And then who am I trying to help Clothe and feed themselves to help come in and go out safely. It's the teaching of God that says when we do that for other people, we're doing it to God Himself. So on the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty, they will be my treasured possession, those who decide that they will honor and fear me. I'll spare them just as a father has compassion and spares his son who serves him, and you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked. And we've gone full circle back to the point where God's people are so confused about what the difference is between people who seem to be succeeding in life and those who don't. And this whole conversation helps us understand that the primary distinction is you honor God and you fear Him. I'm going to summarize all of this quickly. When we have confusion about who God is, we have confusion about where God is. And when that happens, we have confusion about our priorities that even sink into conversations into the smaller realities of life like our marriages, our money. And our proper response to those times in our lives is to consider the direction of our fear and of our honor. Because when we honor ourselves, it leads us away from God. When we, fear, when we don't fear God, it leads us towards a disoriented life. When we honor and fear God, it leads us toward an ideal life. It is the trajectory of all of God's people to land in a place where he loves us and he welcomes us into his presence and we can be with him forever. This is the path to getting there, is what Malachi is saying. And an ideal life looks like one where there's correct teaching of who he is, where we're faithful in our marriages and we're generous in our giving. So the last slide here. Don't just give money or time generously. The people of God were generously giving subpar gifts to God. <laughs> give generously with a generous heart and in response to who God is and what he's called you to do and to be. It's a subtle difference. Don't give up so many M&Ms of honor and fear to other things and to other people so that when you come to God, you have nothing left. And then finally, don't just give generously. It's very clear that this whole thrust in the conversation of Malachi is not just about money. It is about living a generous life. And so when we talk about generosity, I know that it includes a conversation of money, just like it does here from Malachi. But even more than that, it is a conversation about who we honor and who we fear. And if we get that right, we can live the life that God calls us to live, where we continue to receive his blessings that are not financial all of the time, But they look like things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those are the things that become edible fruit. That's why they're called the fruit of the Spirit to the world and the people around us to help sustain and bring blessings to them. So God, we come to you this morning. (laughs) I just talked for a long time. Um, Hoping that we understand a little bit better who you are and who you've called us to be. You have been so generous with us. You have created a world for us to live, to play, to breathe in. You have given us community where we can have relationships with one another in the form of marriages, of dating, of friendship, of having children. You keep our hearts beating in the air in our lungs. You give us shelter. You give us food. You clothe us even better than the flowers of the field. So in response to how generous you have been to us, God, we want to step up out of your chair that we can often take ourselves, and we want you to sit there. We want you to be the one who shows us how to live. God, would you help us to not take your seat, to not contradict you, so that we can be a blessing to the world around us, to the fatherless, the widow, the orphan, to the foreigners around us, to your people and most of all to you. In Christ's name, amen. So we're going to close our service like we normally do. We're going to sing a song. It's an opportunity to give, just to, again, focus our minds and our hearts to confess with our mouth words that are true about God, to honor and to fear him and not ourselves. It's an opportunity for you to give financially. There's a bucket back there you can drop money into if you want to. You can scan the QR code on the seats in front of you. Again, the invitation of God is for us to give generously with generous hearts, but we will accept your generous giving even if you're not feeling generous in your heart. That was a joke. Join us in singing. Again, if you want to stand, if you want to sit, if you want to sing, if you want to just listen, if you want to pray, whatever expression of your heart is a generous response to God, is what's appropriate now.
2: could ever bring. We live. uh
0: Is really the one who's ultimately in control, and the invitation of this passage of Malachi, of the invitation to live generously, is to recognize the blessings come from Him and that we can become a blessing to the people around us. So, our prayer is that as you walk through this week, you would be captured by the wonder of who God is, that you would remember that He is the one who is in control, and that we would seek to transform the world with His grace and with His love. We love you. Say hi to some people around you before you go. If you see Penny, Give her a hug, handshake, whatever it is. Uh, Thank her for her time here. Uh, We love you guys. We'll see you next week.